Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I love stories. I really do. I don't say that lightly. Uh, that's one of the reasons I read. I, I don't read a lot of stories. I don't read much fiction. But I, I like a good story. And I think most people do. There's a story by G.W. Target called The Window. Two seriously ill men occupied the same hospital room. One man was allowed to sit up in bed an hour each afternoon to help drain the fluid from his lungs. His bed was next to the only window in that room. The other man had to spend all his time flat on his back. They talked between them for hours. I mean, they had nothing else better to do. They spoke of their wives. They talked of their families. They talked of their homes. They spoke of the jobs they worked at. They spoke of the vacations they went on. Every afternoon when the man in the bed by the window, when he could sit up, he'd pass the time by describing to his roommate all the things he could see out his window. The man in the other bed lived for these moments when he could see through him the outside world, where the world would be relived by those activities outside that one window. The window overlooked a park. There was a lake beside. And as the man by the window would describe it, he would describe at times when ducks would swim across the lake. At times there were swans playing on the water. There were times when he would describe children sailing their model boats. Lovers who walked arm in arm. Grand old trees that graced the landscape. And as the man by the window described it, the other man would just close his eyes and he would soak it in and dream of the pictures that were presented. One afternoon, the man by the window described a parade going by. The the other man on his back had a thought enter his mind. Why should he have all the pleasure of seeing everything while I never get to see anything? That thought began to ferment, and this began to really get under his skin in the days that would follow. He began to brood, unable to sleep at night. He was consumed about thinking about why does he get the window bed. Late one night, as he was laying, staring at the ceiling, the man by the window began to cough. He was choking on the fluid in his lungs. The other man watched him grope for the help button. He himself could have pushed the button, which would have brought a nurse running, but he chose not to. In a few minutes, the coughing subsided. Deathly silence. The following morning, the nurse arrived, and when she found the lifeless body, she had him removed. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he might be moved by the window. The nurse was happy to accommodate, and she left him alone. Slowly, painfully, he propped himself up on one elbow to take his first look out into this glorious world. 
to discover that the window faced a blank wall. I remember hearing that story and coming to the drastic realization that joy is not conditional upon circumstances. Joy is a choice. It's a choice. If we reduce it to circumstances, you will not live a life of joy. We talked a couple of weeks ago, this, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is, however, often connected to circumstances, but not joy. Joy is distanced from circumstances because joy is a choice. You choose, I choose, I make a choice to be a joyful person. I make a choice. Irregardless of all these things. The series that we are embarking upon for today and the next few weeks is a study in the book of Philippians. And I invite you to turn there if you have your devices and Bible. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to go through it. It's only four chapters, not a big book. But it is a joyful book. It is a fun book to read. And it's a book that we have many of our memorization verses from. It's the book of Philippians. Because it's a book that has some good words for today's circumstances, Philippians. And I welcome, I know the young adults are, I believe the living room and the, um, the adulting group are going through Philippians. I welcome any young adults uh, here who are listening that um, you guys have probably got some great insight in areas. Please email me, text me, send me some stuff, what you're learning about the book of Philippians. I'd really like to incorporate that into what we're going to be sharing on the Sunday mornings. But the book of Philippians is a book that Paul is writing a letter to the Philippian church, the church of Philippi, the city's called Philippi. And the Philippian church was established in Paul's second missionary journey. He had multiple journeys where he was sent out and he went, he started churches, then he would come back. And, and these journeys would take sometimes years. Paul, on his second journey, had started the Church of Philippi. He'd gone in there, and it was the first work that began. And, and Paul would admit that his relationship with the people of the Church of Philippi had grown so tender and dear, they were actually some of his closest friends. He actually said, you're my favorite church. Now, you know, that's a death nail for anybody who says that. Pastors don't say that. Evangelists don't say that. Apostles don't say best church. As soon as that happens, right... Um, things start to go sideways. But he did. These people meant a lot to him. And typically, to when Paul would write his letters, he is addressing a problem. So, in other words, a letter was given to him or people came to him and said, hey, there's a problem going on. This church that you started, there's a problem going on. And that frequently does happen when pastors are pastoring or apostles or, uh, or even just... Uh, evangelists might go into it for a period of time and then they hear word back. Teachers, you know, there's a problem going on there. And sometimes you have to speak back into those situations if given the permission. And he was given permission to do that. So he writes this letter. And in this letter, this letter that Paul is writing back to the Philippian church, he is, he, they, were ta they were complaining. He had heard about some complaints that there were some difficult situations going on. And so Paul wrote this letter back, and here's the theme of his letter was how to have the joy of the Lord no matter what your circumstance. That's basically the theme of Philippians. 
How can you have the joy of the Lord no matter what your circumstances? Paul began to describe his own circumstances. He himself was illegally arrested in Jerusalem. That's not good. He was misrepresented before the courts. He was incorrectly identified and incarcerated and forgotten for two years. And so here he is in jail, incarcerated, writing back to the Philippian church. And what's his message? Guys, you need to get the joy of the Lord. Now remember, they're not in jail. He's in jail. They've not been unjustly judged. He has been. They are not in the same circumstances that he is in. And he is fighting for his life. And he's talking about joy. I would think that would cause you to sit up a little bit and go, okay, if he's talking about joy, it's not about what's happening to him. He is speaking something deeper than mere circumstances. And so he's talking about how to have incredible joy. So let's pick it up. You're there? Philippians 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, listen to this, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a matter of fact, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of these chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel with fear. We'll stop there for now. This does not sound like someone licking their wounds in prison. It doesn't sound like that at all. This doesn't sound like somebody having a pity party. Oh, life is bad. doesn't have any of those components to it. I want to share four points to this. Four very simple points. Here they are. Number one, we're talking about how to have the joy of the Lord. Point number one, confident even though a victim. Confident even though a victim. You notice in the first few verses... He keeps talking about being thankful, being thankful, being thankful. Every time he thought of them, he thanked God. He lived being thankful. He lived thankful. I want Just take those two words. Living thankful. What does it look like to live a life thankful? That when people ask you, how are you doing? You don't have to get into the depths of the bad. Not that you ignore it. Not that, you, not that they're not important but that you're living your life thankful. Thankful for, what is it? I discover 
that that is a hard discipline. But as I grow in this, living thankful, living thankful for the people in my life, living thankful for, for, for the body God has given me. How many times we don't like the body God gave us? I don't, don't, don't raise your hand. We don't like the body He gave us. We complain all the time. Oh, how come I have to have a nose like this and posture like this and I'm short, I'm too tall, I'm too chubby, I'm, I can't put any weight on, you know, I, my, my toes point inward or my toes point too much, you know, on and on and on and on, you know, I don't like the color, too bushy eyebrows, I don't have any eyebrows at all, I uh, don't have a chin, too big of a chin, you know, on and on, my teeth, you know, and our ears, my ears too big, my ears too, my ears stick out, you know, and, and, <laughs> okay, there comes a point where as children of God, God, thank you for the body you gave me. And uh, I don't know, this is a fun discipline. I've done it on occasions, not just with me. I've done it with other groups, you know, usually younger groups because they tend to be more open to this. Um, just tell God the things you're thankful about your body, you know, and, and just, you know, thank Him for the nose. Thank Him for that chiseled chin you have. Thank Him that you can grow hair wherever you can. Thank Him you can still walk. Or if you walk with a limp, that you can still still walk. Or if you are not able to and you're in a wheelchair, that you have arms that you can still push yourself. What can you give God thanks for? Thanking Him for body, let alone family, let alone thank you for where I live. Thank you for my job. Too frequently, you see, society markets items of, of, um, that they want us to purchase. They have to make you discontent in order for you to buy something. You know, if my iPad isn't working right, there's a better one out there, right? They have to convince me my iPad is worth leaving because there's a better one to get. I'm getting these updates on my watch, and it says, that there's like, this is a one. This is the number one that came out. There's a, a six out there, I guess, and it's, it's bugging me all the time. It comes up and tells me there's a six. I guess I must want a six, even though this thing still works, it's the way things are. To make you feel what you got doesn't work well so that you will want something else and you will give your preciously earned money to them. You need to give it. But we don't live that way. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We are sent to the world. And so therefore, we are thankful for all that he has given. Paul lived being thankful. And that's what helped him to go to sleep at night. He was a thankful man. And as it gave him hope when he got up in the morning, he had something to give thanks for. When we stop finding things to give thanks for, we enter into some deep, dark depression. Despairing. And it's easy to do it when we stop encouraging ourselves in thanksgiving. So here's the question. What have you got to be thankful for? What have you got? Verse 6 is my life verse. Philippians 1.6 is my life verse. You ask the life verse, that's mine. Being confident of this one thing, that He, God, who began a good work in you, will continue it, perform it, until the day of Jesus Christ. And that verse, I was thinking of that just this past week, and here's the cool part. I'll share this this morning. I was going over that verse, my life verse again, this past week, verse 6, and I was remembering when that verse became my life verse. It became my life verse and here's the cool part, exactly, this past week, exactly 50 years ago, this past week, I can't remember the day, 
but it would be 50 years ago this past week. I was on a mission trip, a project that we were doing. We were, we were a month and a half in the Philippines building two buildings, and I was very sick when I arrived, very sick, and I had multiple problems. For me going to, on that particular trip, I was running from a lot of stuff. In my, yeah, I was young. I was an older teenager, but I, I was running from a lot of stuff in my life. And I had an attitude <laughs> 10 miles high. I had an attitude 10 miles high. I had the world by the tail, you know, had my own set of wheels back home, and a group of friends that were not followers of Christ, uh, just started a band, secular band, we were just going to try to put it on, on the road. Things were just, but here was this hiatus in the middle of the summer, me on this trip, and all my strength was stripped from me. My physical health in so many areas was stripped from me. I was in the Philippines, I was away from all the things I was running from. And I'm remembering this this past week again. And it was there that in my sickness, I wasn't even able to engage in the project that all the others were working on. I was too sick. And I was, I was so angry. I was angry at everybody. I was angry at my body. I was angry at why I'm here when this is happening. I was angry at God. And there was a book I picked up, a used book that was a part of a library that they had taken over. And the book was called um, My Son, My Son. Now, here's the thing, what I did this past week, so I'm reflecting on this just as I'm telling you. And as I'm reflecting on it, I thought, I wonder if that book is still out there. I've not actually thought about it since. So I got on good old Google and started, and I did a search. It took me about a half an hour. I think I found it. I think like it's an old book. I mean, it's long out of publication. I think I found it. I think I found a used copy, and I think it's coming to me. I ordered it. I don't know if it's coming, but I hope it's coming. Because I'm intrigued, because I didn't, I'm sure I didn't even get all the way through the book, but it was about a rebellious man, and in the review I read this past week, the book actually doesn't have a very happy ending. This guy dies in lost. He dies wandering. He dies not turning back to God. But it was a, it's called My Son, and My Son is the journey of the Father. And it stirred my heart that I want to read that story, because that story was a part of my life change. It's a part of me coming to this verse this verse, because this verse was somewhere in that story. And I pulled that verse out of that story, and I claimed it. And I said, because I, I called it to God, I said, God, if you, and I had a list, then I will, and I had a list. Well, he did, and I did. But it came back to that book, and it came back to this verse, confident that God was saying, I started something in you, Wayne, and I will complete it. Have faith. And I rose up and I held on to that and continue to hold on to that. Verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1. I want to just draw your attention into verse 12. He says that the things that have happened to him have actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, the whole palace garden, everyone knows about the faith. Here's, here's what was happening here. Paul was viewing his circumstances... It seemed like everything was against him. And he is chained to these guards 24-7. They rotate, and I don't know what their rotation hours are, but they would rotate these guards. As if Paul was a dangerous guy. Come on, serious? And as if he was, da- he was a flight risk. Uh, I don't know. But they were chained to him, nonetheless. Every day. And Paul was locked in with these guys, writing this letter to the church in Philippi. But instead of seeing the soldier next to him as a restriction... Paul saw the soldier next to him as a captive audience. 
because he's chained to the soldier. And I wonder, I could just imagine Paul when he was, you know, chained to the soldier. And he's thinking, I can't go anywhere. The soldier's chained to me. But then he thought, huh, he can't go anywhere either. Hmm. Not until the shift is done. And so why not ask him about how his family's doing? Ask him about his, how he got to be a soldier. Ask him about what doesn't he like at work. <laughs> ask him about his needs. And he was chained. And Paul was stating, he's stating here, he says, here's what's happened. And then the next soldier gets chained to him, and he, oh, another new guy. He can't leave either. And so his attitude was one by which he is chained to these guys, but they're chained to him, and God has placed him in this moment for a reason. And he was going to let the reason fulfill itself. And Paul was testifying. He said, the entire palace guard knows about Jesus Christ because I'm chained. Now, if he wasn't chained, if he wasn't in that prison, do you really think those people would have had the full gospel preached to them? Do you really think that it would have gone home to their families? You imagine those soldiers going home to their families and they're going, okay, you wouldn't believe who I was chained to for 12 hours today. This guy, he has been whipped, he has been beaten, he has been shipwrecked, he has been... And all he talked about was the things he could give thanks for. Man, this guy, he makes my life look like, a, like I'm a king compared to what he's going through. And yet he is so happy. He's joyful. And they knew that this was a God moment. And Paul, in middle of his circumstances, could be able to testify to God's goodness. How can you think like this, we say to Paul? Well, it's simple. It depends on your mindset. We can either be negative. We can ask the questions, well, why did this have to happen to me? Why did this have to happen here? Now, listen to this. This is really important here. Don't just ask the why questions. Paul came to the place where he turned it. And he was saying, how, God, do you want this to result in your glory? So don't ask the why questions. Why did you do this? Instead, let's ask the questions, how do you want to be glorified in this, God? So you're in a situation. God, how are you going to get glorified in this? And then with that heart of joy, the heart, as we mentioned right at the beginning, confident, even though a victim, God will show you. Oh, that's a good word. If I, might, if I do say so myself. Number, point number two. Joyful in spite of others. Verse 15, we're going to do this quickly. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? I like this, my favorite part. So What? <laughs> The important thing is that every way, whether false motives are true, Jesus is being preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. They're not going to rain on my parade. I refuse. Like in our day, Paul, people in Paul's day were deliberately trying to call him, cause him distress by being sarcastic, by mocking him, by belittling him. They would go around and say, you know what he says? And they would, that, he says this. And they would maybe mimic the way he says it. They would maybe try to restate it, but put a sarcastic twist to it. And that was all a part of, people were coming back and saying, hey, do you realize these people? I get that. You get it too. People come up and say, hey, do you realize they're saying this about you? And they want that to get under your skin. Well, maybe we just need to, like Paul say, well, I don't really care. If, if they're saying, if they are recounting what I'm saying, praise God. 
The message is getting out. Could you imagine getting to heaven one day, somebody in heaven coming to you and saying, I'm really thankful that you said this to me. And you go, I, did, I don't even know who, I, I don't know you. I never said that to you. Because somebody who was trying to be sarcastic told them what you said, and they got saved because of it. And that's exactly how Paul looked at it. It doesn't really matter who says it, who gets the credit, and if they even said it with the wrong attitude. He says, what does it matter? I like it. Just as long as Jesus is being talked about. Just as long as he's being talked about. What an attitude. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to straighten up their attitudes or motives. You know, I've learned, I've learned that we don't have to do that. We don't have to defend ourselves all the time. To not defend yourself doesn't mean an admission of guilt. Sometimes it means an admission of maturity. You don't have to defend yourself. Just leave it. You don't have to straighten the other person's motives. Trust God. Grace says, let them be. So uh, if Paul can shrug it off, I guess I can too. Let me take you to number three. Hopeful, regardless of uncertainties. You go to verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ... What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope I will in no way be ashamed. Wow. He speaks of his hope. There's an old song. I like the old song. I mention it frequently. Father, glorify yourself, whether pleasure or in pain. Or all my life, I give you reign. Just you be glorified today in my life. That's how Paul lived his life. In other words, what he was experiencing was not the end of the story. What's happening now, there's something bigger going on. He refused to be crippled by other people's words. Listen to these three things. He refused to be crippled by other people. You know words can cripple people? Refuse to let it happen. He refused to submerge himself in self-pity. Rethinking it over at night. Do you have that? That's my worst time. When I lay down at night and my, and my mind slows down and then it begins to pick up moments in the day. That's my worst time. And I realize that's where the enemy will attack me. And that's when I have to surrender it to God. God, I'm not going to think about it tonight. I'm not going to lose sleep because of it tonight. The thoughts want me to, but Lord, I refuse self-pity. I refuse to do that. I trust you. And thirdly, refuse to take criticism and attacks personally. Just refuse to do that. How could he do that? Verse 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So let me just recap. Confident, even though a victim. Joyful, in spite of others. Hopeful, regardless of uncertainties, and certainly uncertainties are our day. And number four, lastly, contented because Christ Jesus is central. If we live for money, then you're going to live for the fear of losing it. If we live for fame, then you'll be competitive and you'll envy what others have. If you live for power and influence, you're going to serve you. If you live for your possessions, you're going to be materialistic. No, live for Christ. And those things don't carry weight in your life. Mother Teresa, the late Mother Teresa who served many decades in the ghettos of Calcutta, was asked, what's the job description for somebody who can work right alongside you? She quickly answered without hesitation two things. One, the desire to work hard. Two, you've got to have a joyful attitude. 
you got to have a joyful attitude. makes all the difference. There's a song that we often sing by Christy Nichols. Let it be Jesus, the first name that I call. Let it be Jesus, my song inside the storm. Don't get that. Let it be Jesus, my song in the middle of the storm. I'll never need another. Let it be Jesus from the rising of the sun. Let it be Jesus when all is said and done. I'll never need another. Jesus, there's no other. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. God, I breathe your name above everything. Let it be Jesus. And the last part, it says, should I ever be abandoned? Should I ever be acclaimed? Should I ever be surrounded by fire and the flame? There's a name I will remember. There's a name I will proclaim. What do you think it is, church? Let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. He's my joy. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.